to you live from Race City, USA. It's Blind Spotting, the NASCAR podcast from a fresh, personal, and blue collar take. Race reviews, race previews, the latest news, and more. And now, your hosts, Michael Colbert, Andrew Coates, and Travis Sherrill. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Blind Spotting, a very special episode of Blind Spotting, as tonight we are privileged to be joined by the president of the Performance Racing Network, Doug Rice, and we're going to jump right into uh, the interview with Doug. I want to take you back to 2015. You were on that day and still are to this day the only broadcaster to ever do the Memorial Day double, the Indy 500, and the Coke 600. Talk about how that came about, the logistics of it, and and just that experience. We went to Indy this year for the first time, and it was incredible. It's, it's, it's something. If you're a race fan, you owe it to yourself to get up to Indianapolis in the month of May. Uh, I never appreciated it till I went there and was part of the broadcast crew that year. It's, it's, it is it is the greatest spectacle in motor racing. It is one of the greatest spectacles ever. That came about, there was a, an executive that worked for Shell, and she's a good friend of mine, Heidi Massey-Bong, and we were talking, I think, one year at the banquet out in Vegas. And she asked me, she goes, is there anything that you would really like to do? And I said, I'd love to work at Indy and then get down to Charlotte. The 600 on the same day because I know all the indie radio guys. And so she worked, got this promotion through Shell, and they flew me and my cohort, Alexis Erickson, who was documenting all this on social, up there. We went up on Thursday. We did all the pre-stuff for the 500. Uh, I had to cover Elio Castroneves for two pit stops because he was driving the Penzoil car. And then I went down to the far end of pit road to get out of the way of the guys that normally do the race. I didn't want to take the most premium spot. And I worked pits that day. And as soon as that was done, uh, they got us on a private jet, flew us down to Concord. I got down there, I think it was about like 25 to the Coke 600. So I worked pits at Indy and then I called the race at Concord at Carl Edwards won that 600. Quite exciting. Kind of a little twist. I, I told the guys, I said, guys, I'll go to the end of pit road and cover the cars that nobody needs. And they said, sure. So they said, you go down and start at Juan Pablo and cover everybody at the end of pit road. And when you know it, Pablo, Juan Pablo won the race that day. So Right that place at the cool. right time, yeah. Yeah, it was. And it's so funny. A little backstory. Uh, everybody kept preaching to you, you know, don't get dehydrated. Don't get dehydrated. Don't, you know, be really conscious about it. So Saturday night. Uh, we go out to eat. I don't have a beer. I don't have anything. I'm just water and all of this stuff. And the next morning I'm up and I'm having Gatorade and all this stuff. And about three o'clock during the race, it realized, okay, I'm bloated with water. I've been so excited. I forgot. <laughs> to eat. Oh. I was starving. <laughs> so I went around and stole bananas out of some of the team lockers. But it was, it was uh, one of the cool, it, it was probably the coolest thing I've ever done on the air to work both of those. And to this day, nobody has broadcast both races hmm. on location before. Since. Wow. So, and I, and you know, frankly, I hope it never does happen. That's nice to say you were the only one. Yeah. Better yeah, than your cat for sure. That's cool. 
That's so, fantastic. Another unique broadcasting situation was in March of 2020. You guys are in Atlanta, yeah. and all of a sudden the world comes to a screeching halt. What What was that like as you guys were preparing, and then what was it like afterwards doing races, you know, three of them at Darlington with no fans? Like, what was what was that like back in the early part of 2020? When it hit, on the way down, I drove down through South Carolina because I was I wanted to get into Georgia to go to Macon to go to the Almond Brothers Band Museum on Wednesday. So I left early, and I got there and toured it because I'm a big Almond Brothers fan. By then, we were all talking about COVID, and I think some sports had already canceled. I think college basketball stopped some games at halftime. So by the yeah. time I got to yep. the Speedway – the next day, everybody said, we're going to race, we're going to race. And then uh, we're going to race, we're going to do all three races in one day. And just all of these different scenarios about how they were going to try to go racing. And then I was I was actually co-hosting on the air with Larry Mack doing the serious show. And I'm getting text messages from people at NASCAR saying, we're going to make a decision, we're going to make a decision. I think that was Friday afternoon. And then finally... I got one that said, we're a no-go, go home. You know, we're, we're not going to race this weekend. And I just remembered thinking how weird, because some of the teams were already there, other haulers were there, and yeah. some of the teams were in transit to get down there. And it's, we're, we're, we're not going. Everybody else is canceled. We can't be seen in, in the bad light of keeping going on. But, you know, NASCAR, to their credit, it was weird doing the races with no fans. We we were only out seven weeks before they came back and raced at Darlington. NASCAR's an outdoor sport, which to its benefit helped. I don't think people realized at the time you're probably not getting COVID outside. It worked to our benefit that it's a sport that doesn't require a lot of human contact. And then I remember the oddest thing about it. I remember they raced. The first race back was at Darlington. Kevin Harvick gets out of the car, you know, and he's like mm-hmm. celebrating. Yes. And then yeah. he looks then he looks around and there's this realization on his face, but there's nobody here. There's no one here. Mm-hmm. And so we did, you know, many races that year with no crowds at all. I think we might have had a few people by the end of the season. And Mark Garrow and I had a competition to find out who could park closest to the elevator to come to the broadcast booth. <laughs> Who was it that had the mask? Was it Harvick or was it Hamlin with the smile? Denny Hamlin. Denny had the Hamlin. Hamlin. That's yeah. right. That's right. It seems a, seems so long ago, but it it wasn't yeah. that far. And and NASCAR was the first one to kind of get the ball back rolling yep. on uh, having you know live events, not in person events, but actually you know cars on the racetrack and and I know baseball started having some games with. And they did like the, the cut the cardboard cutouts in the stands. Yeah, or the, yeah. yeah that was that just was, so weird. Was it was a weird could, time. And we talked to Matt Johnson from Penske. He's on the IndyCar side for them. And he was talking about that year's Indy 500 and how so much of what makes that magic is the fans and the energy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he said it was like post-apocalyptic, where it's just an empty racetrack and the only people there are the competitors. And it's kind of like almost, what are we doing here? I mean, you couldn't even go somewhere and buy a, a, a hamburger or a hot dog. There were no concession stands open. Right. You know, and they, they even told you, bring your own food. We're not going to have anything. Wow. And then, and then we, we, where did we go? It was New Hampshire. 
And we went up there and literally got a letter from the governor of New Hampshire saying, we're glad you're going to be here. Only order takeout and stay at the racetrack. Huh. I mean, it was basically like, nice to have you here. We're going to let you race, but don't touch anything. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, that, you are confined. Yeah. yeah. It's like work release. <laughs> yeah, they wanted you to stay in your hotel room, only go through drive throughs and go to the racetrack. So that's pretty much what we did, uh, you know, because back then they were arresting people for not wearing masks. They and were. That, was, that, that whole thing was trippy, guys. It was just, uh, yeah, post-apocalyptic. It was it was out-of-body experience almost because nobody knew what to make of it. It wasn't a lot of fun. I mean, glad, I'm glad we got to do the races there because, you know, Pretty much everybody else was sitting in the living room calling him off television. Yeah. I was going to say, TV wasn't there. Now, Doug, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys had pit reporters, but were they in a, weren't they in a booth beside you guys? Or were they down on pit road? They were down on pit road. We okay. tried a couple of different combos, but they had to use telescopic microphones. That's right. Okay. All right. You know, like, and, and and that was weird because they had to have two mics, one that was on a pole for the driver to talk into, and the other one they held in their hand. Mm-hmm. So now you got to have two people. Yeah, or or some of them managed to juggle it themselves, and it was just, it was all very awkward, and it limited, what, and we were very limited on how many people we could take to the racetrack. Mm-hmm. So... We know that you're the anchor of PRN in the booth, but what else does that title of president mean that you do on a daily basis when you're calling a race on a weekend, when you're not calling a race on a weekend, when MRN has it, and then during the off season? Like what take us kind of through that and what that's what that's like. I I think my biggest my two other biggest duties are working with our general manager, a guy named Jerry Horn, who is one of my closest friends ever. Mm-hmm. Jerry's in charge of the sales effort and the money side. How can we use what we're doing on the air to help generate money? And we talk literally every day and we try to do anything that you hear that's sponsored. We want that to fit. I don't want it to feel like it's been forced into the broadcast mm. and people are going, well, that's only there because of money. Uh, I don't want that. Right. We, it, it needs to have a purpose. And a lot of times we try to attach sponsors to things we are already doing. Here's a full field rundown. It's brought to you by Geico. Mm-hmm. And not just create silly things so we can attach a sponsor to it. That's that's one of my biggest things, building the team. I, I'm the person, for the most part, that selects who's going to be on the air and what their role is going to be. And constantly evaluating how we sound. And who's available. And that's a big part. I work closely with some other people uh, on the logistics of how we get there. Our people buy their own plane tickets. We book We book all the hotel rooms. That's one of the biggest consternations is working with the people to get that done. And I also host or co-host our weekly show, Fast Talk. I think we've been on the air 27 years. That That's a Monday, yep. one-hour show. It's going and, on right now. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> Guess what? It was taped earlier. Today. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, no. Uh, yeah. No, you're just and, that good. Doug. Yeah. Doing both. That yeah. good. Uh, <laughs> people would be absolutely amazed if they knew when they watched TV broadcast of anything, how much stuff is what we call DB'd or delayed broadcast. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Watch watch any of the TV networks in their post-race coverage when they say, let's go down to whoever, yeah. this pit report. Yep. And it was shot 15 minutes ago because the winner of the race is doing a burnout behind That's right. That's yeah. right. So, and, and all of that's done for efficiencies because sure. that driver's not going to – that finished third's not hanging around 20 minutes for you to talk to. Mm-hmm. So speaking of, of, of content, we, we were lucky enough to get to go to Charlotte Motor Speedway a few weeks ago and listen to the cars announcement. Is, in terms of growing you know, PRN, and is there thoughts of like having some type of you know, grassroots coverage? And I apologize for my lack of knowledge if you already have a strong presence in this. But No, we do not. Well, yeah. our, our grassroots coverage belongs to Lenny Batiki, okay. who does PRN at the track, which he does. He's, he's Mr. Short Track, Mr. Grassroots, okay. and Lenny's great at that. I would love to have a feeder series that one, we could get some people in it and, and get them some experience. Right. Um, Na- NASCAR, MRN has ARCA. Uh, we don't have that. And right. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit envious of that. If we could do something like the Cars Tour, the, the, the thing is that it has to be profitable. Right. Mm-hmm. Because once you start taking people to the racetrack, that's, that's not cheap. Right. No. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap. Once you start paying salaries and per diems, and hotels and rental cars, you know that that's got to be a money making proposition. I would love to if they if they said you guys want to do the radio for the cars tour. I think we could. I think we could find enough stations or at least do it as an online product. But they're probably not going to do that because their online product is Flow Racing. Well, that's right. what I was going to say. The online product that that's how Flow makes it because you know they're the online you can get people to watch that from wherever you don't have to worry about tv and rights and, and broadcast a, and that's rights. a subscription that's right mm-hmm. so they're you know, making money and, whether they're watching or not yeah so and and those guys do a really good job by the way and i love the, the configuration of the cars tour they're not going to make it too big you heard them talking they don't want these teams driving to michigan to do a race right so right. it's going to stay it sounds like north carolina virginia south carolina for the most part so speaking of money, uh, NASCAR just signed a seven-year, $7.7 billion TV deal. That's unfathomable to me. How does – so I know in the current TV deal uh, that I think it's uh, 65% of the money goes to the tracks, 25% goes to the teams, and then 10% goes back to the sanctioning body. Where does radio fit into this? Do you guys get any money from the TV deal, or is all of your money no. based on sponsorship or no, other things? I, I, we're, we are 100% exclusive to the people and the advertisers like like Coca-Cola mm-hmm. or you know Geico Insurance or uh, whoever decides Toyota is a big sponsor of ours. You know, that's who spends money, mm-hmm. and we're self-funded 100%. Uh, hmm. I, w- I would love for them to peel off a few million from the TV deal for <laughs> us. But, sure. You know, and, and that's why, and, and I know p- folks get upset about it. But guys, here's, here's just the, the ec- economics of the deal. Mm-hmm. You threw out that big number. What is it, $7.7 billion? That was what was reported, yeah. Yeah, that's $1.1 billion annually for seven years. That's a lot of lug nuts. <laughs> that is. Uh, <laughs> and... 
they get they get their way if they want to run the race and i know people squawk about start times but if television says we get the best results by this race coming on a green flagging at three o'clock guess what it's three o'clock that's right three o'clock ticket sales are important i don't want to negate that but they're not making 1.1 billion on ticket sales making 1.1 billion people working through the turnstiles you're absolutely right so tv gets their way but they pay their way yeah so, so, I mean, that's, that's capitalism at its best. So I think you answered my next question, and that was, we know that TV and the tracks and, well, TV and the tracks and NASCAR dictate start times. Does radio get even a portion of a say in what time the race starts? No. We show <laughs> you, up, you and show if, up. They the, if they say the race is going to start, you know, normally if they say the start time is three o'clock, that's actually about three fifteen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And we, we go on and allow ourselves for cup races, a one hour pre-race show because one, it allows us to make some more money on features. It allows us also to interview. We try to interview 15 to 20 drivers in pre-race mm-hmm. because that's, that's, we're a personality driven sport. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and, and if you're a Denny Hamlin fan, before that race starts, you want to hear from your guy. Sure. So we're, we, we try to feed that beast as best we can. No, we have we have no say in that. NASCAR does do a really good job of when we have weather situations communicating to us. Generally, we know a little bit ahead if a race is going to get called so we can get our people squared away, but not much, maybe 15 minutes. Is that logistically a nightmare for you as, yes. a, as a president when a race is – called well uh, we had three this past year Mm -hmm. coca-cola 600 new hampshire and dover were all rained out and ran on monday the 600 wasn't as bad because most of our people live here but like we were in new hampshire and the first thing everybody's got to do is scramble to rebook airline tickets and i think it was me and claire b lang that came out on the short end of the stick because we were both sitting in the airport on tuesday after the race went and because you just couldn't get out you know uh, Mm -hmm. you couldn't get a direct back to charlotte airlines and hotels immediately become the number one concern because people got to have a place to stay and then everybody pretty much changes their airline plans so that that is yeah that's a challenge because you got to survey everybody and you also have to find out, can everybody stay? Because mm. not all of our people, very few of our people that you hear on the air, Brett McMillan has a full-time job. That's our, right. Our race director, Laura Beth Barnhart, works in Mooresville at Lowe's, or used to be in Mooresville. It's in Charlotte now. And it's a big shot in their online department. And these people have jobs that don't involve watching cars go around the circle. Right. Right. So well, that they Texas have to find out can they use a vacation day to stay and do the race? Yeah. I I rain outs are not my friend. Yeah, and that, that one in Texas a few years ago that they ran it on a Wednesday. That was that a rough was nightmare. One. And here's the thing about that particular weekend. It never really rained. Mm-hmm. It was just this kind of eerie, nightmarish mist that was just wet enough that you couldn't race. Yeah. He just it couldn't quite get the track dry. It didn't rain a quarter of an inch over that three days. Right. Wow. But it, you, they just never could get the track dry. And we would go there. We would start doing updates. I'll give them credit, though. They called it fairly early both days. Then by Wednesday, we got back. And finally, the you know that weather system had left and we ran it. I hope that's the longest I ever have to stay at a racetrack. <laughs> well, if you ever get in a bind, 
Doug, and you need some. You need three guys to come work for you. Yeah, we'll be happy. Yeah, yeah. You, you <laughs> let me know. I'll, I'll we'll do it for free. Absolutely, <laughs> we'll we'll pay our own way. Yep. That would yeah, be we such will. A treat for us. So, uh, speaking of, you mentioned you guys interview fifteen to twenty personalities or driver, whoever, whatever it may be, before a race. And you've been doing this for a long time. We've been fans for a long time, and you don't have as many. Daryl Waltrips, Kale Yarbrough, these guys are just very colorful personalities. Do you find it more, less challenging to draw out things from these guys? Because just from a fan's perspective, it seems as though, for lack of a better word, vanilla, they're just afraid to say the wrong thing. Have you noticed that, or is that just... You know, what what we hear, they really not like that. Or, you know, what's your take on that? Would you like uh, to see more or less, uh, you know, some of that colorful personality back in the I, back in the sport? I would like to have more Ross Chastain's at the racetrack. Right. I, I think he he is colorful. He's energetic, high level of enthusiasm, pretty, pretty good race car driver, too. It says what's on his mind, and not everything. I mean, he talks a lot about watermelons, but not everything is a plug. <laughs> right. right, right, yes. Uh, yeah, it's Denny all, Hamlin authentic. is pretty interesting. Bristol. Denny Hamlin will tell you what's on his mind. He doesn't care if he makes you mad. Right. And Kyle Busch, you know, especially early in his career, you know, people love or hate yeah. that guy, but it's good to have a villain, right? And now that well, you know, now that I Kyle's guess gotten older, the villain he's, now. I'm sorry. I guess Denny's the villain. Denny's now. the villain, and Travis—that's Travis's favorite driver, by the way. He oh, absolutely yeah. loves Denny Hamlin. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like to interview Denny. Denny at least gives you something interesting, and it's not all just driver speak. Right. And yeah. I think I think part of what has affected that is a lot of the drivers that are successful right now have been at a high level since they were seventeen. Mm-hmm. You know, they were in an Xfinity ride. They were in a truck ride. They've had somebody beat into their brains. Well, mention the sponsor. Mention this. Don't do that. Don't say anything that somebody could misinterpret. Whereas we used to get drivers coming into the Cup Series at 25. Right. Well, they had been out on the bologna and cheese circuit for five years. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and yep. You know what I mean? They had yes. stories to tell. They had, right. had raced in minor league series for five years. And their life intrinsically is more interesting than somebody that pretty much has been racing at a high level for a long time. At least I think that's part of it. Yeah. More experiences, more, uh, real, more color of their life. Yeah. Yeah. Experiences. And and I would imagine dirty experiences. And I don't say that like dirty as in like getting your hands dirty, you know, getting your hands dirty, you know, get doing the work on the car. Yeah. They don't do that. Loading the, loading the hauler, you know, that, those types of things. And this is not saying that, being vanilla, vanilla is because of this exact incident, but also I think guys after the Kyle Larson thing, and granted that we're not going to go into you know what that was, and but obviously clearly shouldn't have been said. But when when you're if you're yourself in a in a vulnerable moment, you do something you don't expect to do, or you do something you wish you regret. Now that's on camera, that's on the internet, that's and so these guys just are afraid. I'm assuming too to like. Once I say that, it's a meme, it's a thing. I mean, look at Let's Go Brandon. There's not a car here in town. It doesn't seem like it doesn't have a Let's Go Brandon sticker on it. And that was Brandon Brown winning at Talladega, right? But during the, you know, the the Joe Biden thing. So now his name is on all these people's trucks for something he didn't have anything to do with. So I think the game has changed too, right? Whereas it might be in the local paper, it might be on a quick TV segment. Now it just lives forever. 
And well, I, I mean, that's that's social media creates that, and I think that's part of the shyness. I've, I've had more than one driver. Most of these guys are retired now. Say we used to have a lot of fun until cell phones came along. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, it, 25 years ago, you could go to Florida on on February of Daytona 500. And half the garage would be at one of the strip bars. Sure, <laughs> sure. Soft tails well, into land. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, you know, <laughs> that's the only one we know because we we used to drive. We we went last year and we would go buy that one uh, to our hotel in was it Deland? Deland yeah. yeah. And so yeah. we drove by the split. That's the, that's because I, I, that's I think we've not been there. Probably a little far for these guys. Oh, to go. I see. Yeah, they were actually yeah, going yeah, to Daytona. Okay. You know, I mean, that was and, and that was nobody thought anything about it. <laughs> right. You know. Right. But now, professional athlete, at, at least in the NASCAR world, is never going to go into one. Right. Which right, is right. Probably not the worst thing because sure. probably lessons are opportunity. But that's just an example of how scrutinized <laughs> people yeah. are. I do like. The champion we have now, I think Ron Blaney is is interesting, and I think if if he is let go a little bit, he could be a really interesting and engaging champion for this sport. I mean, I, 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 I have to admit I like him because he's a sci-fi guy, and that appeals to me, but he's also interesting, and I don't think he's just going to be – that bland guy. And I think Joey Logano has turned into that. I know a lot of people don't like Joey, but he's not afraid to say things. No, no, no. I, I like Joey. I, yeah, I, yeah. I think Joey's grown into himself. Yeah, I think, sure. I think yeah, he's, he has, you know, and, and he is, when you see him in things where he's able to let his hair down, he's actually kind of fun to listen to and fun to, there's a joke in there somewhere, but I'm not going to yeah. <laughs> let was, his hair down. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. He was kind of awkward when he got into this, but look how he was thrust into it. Well, and, and he took over for a hall of famer who uh, people yeah. already knew he was a hall of famer and then said hall of famer, who I was, I'm a fan of called him sliced bread. And then, right. I mean, just, he had a hard time coming up, and and just a lot of guys don't have success with that first time he, team. He goes to Penske, and you know now he's a two time champ. So that that's neat. I did want to ask selfishly, and I know we talked about this quickly off the air, but the three of us are Mooresville High School graduates, and one of the things that we like about that is on Friday nights we occasionally get to hear you call a little Blue Devil football. Do you? Do you still do any other football? I know you talked about doing, um, you know, App State back in the day and some stuff early in your radio career. Do you do anything else other than NASCAR and the occasional football game on Friday nights? No, I'm, and if, if I had the opportunity, I would love to do regular high school football mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, small college again, something like a Catawba or right. a Gardner-Webb or something. I mean, I, I, you know, I would go back and do App State on the radio. I never did them on the radio. I did. I was public address announcer. There oh, sorry. You were PA. Gotcha. But that's a lot of fun, too. But I, I will be honest. That's a lot of work. You know, they want you there three hours before the game and an hour after the game. Oh, and wow. I started thinking about, okay. I really like this. This is my alma mater, but this this is turning into a nine hour day, not including travel. So right, and uh, and although but, you have spotters, like you got to know the jersey numbers of the opposing team. You don't have time to wait and look at the sheet every time, right? I mean, you got to do your homework a little bit. You got to watch you tape, and you got to. I mean, it's not just being at the at the at the uh, like these guys that do three NFL games a week. It's crazy to me that they can prep all that information. That's well, they have they have incredible people helping them put that information I, I guess so too. Right? I, yeah. I go through a system. I try to get as informed as I can. High school football is not that bad because in general, and you guys know this, 
on each team, five or six people are going to touch the ball. That's right. Mm-hmm. And they're going to call maybe 10 plays. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and they're not going to run a big fat playbook of plays. So try to figure out who those five or six key people are and zero in on them. And the rest comes about okay. The rest is not that hard, uh, especially if you got a, you know, Mooresville, John Ammon, and you know the guy that works with me there. He knows all the Mooresville kids. Right. And yes, let's face does. it, when we're doing Mooresville football, I, I don't, I'm not worried about who the kid from that area is. That's right. That's right. And uh, I mean, unless he's having an outstanding game. My research for NASCAR, it's funny, as time has gone on, it, it's become more and more because. Fans are so discerning now. Mm. They know as much as you do. And, and you you better know who the crew chief is. And you better know exactly how many wins and top fives and top tens that whatever driver has at that track and what they've done this season and, and a couple of anecdotes to back that up. So I, I'm a sponge. I watch. I do like Race Hub. I think that they do a really nice job on that show. Uh, I listen to a couple of the podcasts. I watch some of the stuff that the YouTubers do because those guys are very honest and, you know, and there's, there's a lot of ways to get Intel now and you got to be up to date on it. You got to be, when you walk into that box, you better know, you better be prepared because you don't know what you're going to talk about. But most of the time that prep never gets used. If the race is any good, we're talking about that race. That's right. Or the worst has got to be a quick rain delay, right? Where you just have to vamp, like you just... Right, you've just got to fill the air time. Or do you guys just take a break and come back? It, it depends how long we're going to be. And that's, okay. that's that probably is the single hardest decision I make in my role. We're somewhere, it comes up a rain shower. The track's wet. How long is it going to be before they get back? You know, and these track driving systems I got now, those things are pretty good. They are. Yeah. And we're sitting there going, okay, is it going to be an hour? Because once you tell the stations, we're going away for an hour, we'll come back at four o'clock eastern time you better hope nascar's not racing at 350 i've only missed it once that, oh wow that, you know out, out, of, out of all the rain delays i missed it one time because they got the sun came out the track got dried and next thing you know the brickyard 400's on again are you excited that's two. going back to the oval oh yeah yeah, yeah. that that uh that is the biggest bait and switch that's ever been pulled by anybody Penske buys the place. Everybody's complaining. They hate the brickyard. They hate the brickyard. Okay, fine. We'll take it away. And then in two years, people are going, well, it wasn't that bad. That's right. Well, and, and, the, the, and the, the, the last race there, not this year's, but last year's was just, I'm just going to not break going into turn one, run seven guys into the grass and win the race. Oh, I like that. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. I thought, okay, let, who's got the big stones going That's into turn right. one? Let's see what happens. I mean, this year, everybody played nice and you got really a, a, just a dreadful race. I felt. I mean, yeah, it was boring. Yeah. But it was, it was, it was boring beyond belief. So I'll take the mayhem Fair enough, over yeah. boredom every day. But <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that they're going back. The drivers really were the leading force in that. They want to go race where Mario Andretti raced mm-hmm. and AJ Ford raced. Yeah, they don't yeah. want to go on some makeshift road course. So we're back on the oval, and you know, hopefully, let's see what this car does. This car may race better up there than we ever imagined. I got to know, Doug, we were excited when North Wilkesboro got the all-star race, and we were fortunate enough to get tickets this year. And when we got up there, you and Brad Gilly were doing the PA. 
what was that experience like? Because I know that you have been around this sport long enough to remember when Wilkesboro was raced on previously. Yeah, I went to a lot of the Wilkesboro races. I didn't go to the last one. I didn't want to be there for that. I didn't want to see him shut the old girl down. Mm -hmm. But I had been to a lot of races there with my dad, uh, my in-laws. I covered races there. I never called a race there. But, you know, I was thrilled when they brought it back. I volunteered to do the PA. I said, I'll do that. Just let let me go up there. I want to be a part of that weekend. And Brad Gilly felt the same. And it was it was marvelous. It was like uh, being at Woodstock. <laughs> Everybody, you guys know you were there. Everybody yeah, was yeah, in a great yeah, mood. Yes. Everybody was having the time of their lives. They were all having fun. The racing was kind of secondary. And in the booth, we had people dropping by all the time to let us talk. DW came by one day. We spent probably 30 minutes with him during the lull. Mike Joy, Winston Kelly, we, you know, uh, just a who's who of people dropping by to chat on the PA because they were all so happy to be there. And it was it was a really nice, it was well done. They brought the place back. It still had the old school feel with Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, <laughs> and LED lights. <laughs> and LED lights that, that worked. And everything <laughs> that Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Marcus Smith, I think, envisioned it being, it was. I don't know if there's going to be as many seats there this coming year, which is good because you want to keep demand high. That's yeah, right. I, what I hope they did not do was just add a bunch of grandstands because it's a unique event and it's a, hey, if you didn't get a ticket, it makes you want to, I hope I get to go next year. And if I, you overbuild it, that just, it loses that. So I like no, the, I, th- uh, I think everybody in NASCAR learned that lesson. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we loved being there. We uh, were fortunate to, to get tickets, well, tickets the first time. We're going back again uh, next spring and really excited to be there. One of the coolest things we got to do, we just were, I forget how we were selected, but we got to go down on the track for the- We were um, wearing our, our vintage shirts. That's right. Oh, yeah, and that's they right. asked us to go down to the, um, the intros, for the driver intros on the track. Oh, and yeah. that yeah. was super cool yeah. just to be on that old track. And now it's been paved over. Uh, but we got to go down there and just see how, how rough that was. Yeah. My goodness. And and we, we do this whole thing, and they're starting to sh- shoo people away. And all of a sudden, I hear my son talking to somebody. I turn around, and he's shaking Richard Petty's hand. And I'm like, Here, here's my, at the time, 13-year-old son getting a chance to meet the greatest stock car racer that's ever lived. And it just was how appropriate kind of for me to see, you know, we all grew up watching Richard and Daryl and those guys, and it's now a new generation. But, you know, and Richard is always so gracious with the fans, uh, you know, always has been. Yeah, he is. Um, and I, well, I'm, glad, I'm glad your son got to experience Yeah, that. it was cool. That was cool. part of the majesty of that. I thought they paid homage to the past really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the race itself wasn't that great. That track needed to be repaid. It I did. I know yep. that people went through consternation about that. Uh, it wasn't going to be funny if we went up there to race and an eight-foot section of uh, asphalt comes up. Right. And, I mean, it, you know, and, it, and we were there Friday night. Was it Friday or Saturday? Saturday. Whichever night. It rained a little, and the rain tires were interesting for a bit. But, you know, so the weather didn't help on Saturday. Uh, I got one final question, and it's, you know, you talk about the the money situation, and, and it is a, it's a necessity for any business. And, you know, we love what you guys do on PRN and try to listen as often as we can. You know, a lot of us... Uh, listen on Sirius XM and and that kind of thing when we're driving and 
I want to ask, you know, how can fans support PRN? You know, you've got, I mean, give you a chance to do a little plug. Other than just the weekend, you've got your Monday night show. And what else can fans do to, to support PRN, support the sponsors? Because at the end of the day, they're the ones that help pay your bills. Well, we have a big social media presence, and we have an Instagram account. Are big on what used to be Twitter is now X at PR and Live. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Those are tangible things that people can do. They can go and like. We do some things on YouTube. All all of that support comes in in handy. That's the easiest thing you can do, you know. And there are so many ways to listen to us now. Yes, it's incredible. the 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 base, the the backbone of this is still terrestrial radio meaning am and fm radio stations that's right. the number one way but that we're also consumed through sirius xm nascar radio channel 90 that's that's another way but you can also go to our stream or nascar.com and listen to everything yes. we do it's free there's no subscription wall not a lot of professional sports have that that's right and i'll yeah. say the free prn mobile app is also an excellent tool as well well, it lets you time shift all of our programming, just mm-hmm. like Fast Talk or Pit Reporters or Mark Garrow's show or anything that we do shows up on there. And uh, we do live stream Fast Talk on Facebook most of the time. During the off season, we don't. But most of the time, if you're interested in taking a look at that, some people, we do some visual things on there. But support through social media is a very tangible thing that people can do and because those numbers – the algorithms and all that, that's very important to us. Right. That's metrics you can use when you're discussing with advertisers yep. about price Bingo. points. Yeah. All right, Michael, you got All right, the- yeah, I got a couple. These are these are kind of fun questions. What is your your favorite venue, your favorite track? Where do you where do you get really excited to go every year? Uh, this will sound cliche, but my offices are at Charlotte. I love doing the six hundred because mm. I know that that's a big event and I like the roll. I think I not everybody does. I really get excited about that race. I like the new configuration at Atlanta because I've never gotten a call drafting before. And that, that's, oh, right. that's pretty cool. Road courses, I'm just going to be honest, don't excite me a lot to call them because where where the booth is, mm. what we get to contribute to the broadcast is right. here they come, there they go. Right. It's all the guys in the corners. Right. It's all right. the ones yeah, in it's, turn it's, 11 you know, at Watkins Glen. Right turn one or, you know, or <laughs> what, you know, right, it, you know, the guys that are positioned out there where they're doing hairpin turns and people spin out, and we're just we're sitting there doing rundowns. So the road right. the road courses don't get me geeked up as much as some other places. The favorite place I like to go is New Hampshire because I just love New England. It just mm-hmm. I love that area, right. uh, the people, the food, everything about it. I, I like that a lot. Real right. quick before Michael asks this, as this just occurred to me at the track. Is it harder now? It's harder for me as a fan to know who's in what color car this week. I mean, oh, tell me about it. Oh, yeah. 20 years ago, it's like, oh, you know, there's the Orange Home Depot or there's the Interstate Batteries or there's Jimmy Johnson. And now, like, is that like, do you guys have to have little reminders so that you can remember who's who on the track? <laughs> well, uh, one of the key things that we do get to do each race weekend is do practice and qualifying, which uh-huh. is invaluable because we get that practice session of 20 minutes and the qualifying session to, okay, that's the color of Joe Logano's car this, this weekend. Week. Yeah. And, and I mean, without that, it would, I mean, I used to be able to go when I was a fan and watch the race and I would come home and shut my eyes and see the 43. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was the same every week Pay because week. that's who I was watching. 
And you don't get that. There's not much of that at all. Yeah, that's a real challenge. The biggest one was about three, oh, I don't know how many years ago it was, but it was the Xfinity race at Charlotte during October, which is Breast Awareness Month. <laughs> and we had 13 pink, pink cars. cars. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining about the fact that they had 13 pink cars. But you talk about a nightmare and trying to figure out which one of those was who. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. That those, was a little bit of a challenge. I wonder how many accidents were because the spotter was looking at the wrong car. You know, <laughs> There had to be some moments. <laughs> there had to be moments that those guys got confused. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. And kind of, we finally figured it out as the race goes on. Okay, these three are the fast ones. They're up front. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's great. All right, next question. Uh, there's a politically right answer answer for this if you're from Salisbury, but and maybe this is your answer: Cheerwine or Sundrop? And I know Sundrop is not okay. Cheerwine, there Cheerwine, goes. All, all day long. I mean, that's. I, I don't like Sundrop, so that's we won't. Okay. We won't tell right. Dale Jr. All right. That's okay. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't think Doug cares if we I don't, I don't think he cares. Yeah. He I don't. Care. I really don't think he would care at all whether or not I like Sundrop. He probably does not. I, I like. I like Cheerwine. It's. It's a. You know, for people that don't know, local regional soft drink. Yep. That now is sold up and down the entire East Coast. It is. We used to take cases of it to Atlanta to my sister-in-law's house. So. Uh, we lived in the Midwest for 13 years, and we would pack the car at Christmas and drive home with Cheerwine. Cause and they love, have, they, yeah, people out there, and they love it. You share yeah. like, oh, my gosh, where can oh, we they get loved this? It. And you could have it, it shipped, but it was a fortune. It, it's like when I was in college, and guys would smuggle a case of Coors in from Colorado. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Because that's the only place you could get it. It's the greatest thing in the world. No, it, it, yeah. it's like junk, but... We can't buy it here, so let's make a big deal about it. That's right. That's right. Kind of like In-N-Out Burgers. All right. I'm not an In-N-Out Burger fan. So being from Salisbury, which is not far from Gary's Barbecue in China Grove, which I I really enjoy eating at Gary's, and sometimes when I go to Gary's, I don't always get barbecue. I get get a hot dog. So which which one are you choosing between barbecue and a hot dog? Uh, If I'm doing... Barbecue in Salisbury. There is a place out near Catawba College called College Barbecue. Very mm. good. Yep. Ex- excellent barbecue. Great service. I'm going to write Been that there down. Been for forever. Mm-hmm. But College Barbecue, right off of Highway 70 and um, in a street intersection, within walking distance of Catawba College. Ergo the name. Uh, really, really good hot dog is uh, a, a, just a joint. There's no seating in it mm-hmm. on Main Street in Salisbury called Haps Grill. Yep, I've and heard of it. I've heard you know, of it. It's just one of these little places, and you go by there, and every lawyer in Rowan County is lined up to get in <laughs> because it's next to the courthouse. Oh. So your answer is both A and B, barbecue yeah. and yeah. hot dogs. So, but, I mean, if I'm going go, to go, you know, hot dog, for me, hot dog's all the way. It's oh, okay. Do you like the onions, mustard, slaw. Do you like the Martinsville Red Hot? Yeah, I do, because it's yeah. the same thing. It's chili, mustard, onion, right. slaw, mm-hmm. and it's $2. It is well, $2. I hope you it have an easier two... time of getting one than I do. Like, we think you should be able to pre-order them. Like, there's got to be a way. There's yeah, like... I want, like, a voucher it, for eight, and then just it, go and get eight or whatever. It used to be easier, but now it's a thing. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's and it's, everybody plays with credit, and so it takes yes, forever. cashless. So, yeah, $2 on a credit card is absurd. And it didn't it, – this is how tough it is. I think the next to the last time I was up there, I was in the hot dog line with Mike Joy. 
He couldn't get hot dogs any faster than I could. That's awesome. Which I kind of felt good about that. Sure. I thought, you know, here, here it is. Here's Fox's anchor, and he's waiting in line to get hot dogs like everybody else. That's yeah. cool. All right, here we go. Here, and, and Travis has one more question. This is my last one. And okay, I don't this know is if insanely you, fun, by the way. Oh, I, 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 I this is great. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Okay, who gets into the Hall of Fame first out of this group? Oh, boy. And if it's not one of these four then who do you think it might be? Okay, so these are the four that I've got written down. Rudd, Gant, Edwards, and Jeff Burton. Which one of those four do you think gets in first? And if not one of those four, who? Or who do you think's most deserving? Let's, let's I'm, rephrase I'm that. I'm prejudiced. I really like... Uh, I've always been a Ricky Rudd fan. Mm-hmm. I thought that guy did more with less than a lot of other cats did. Uh, the, the problem with all four of those guys you named is their, their numbers are pretty much all the same. They're mm-hmm. right in the 20s, the low to mid-20s, and no championships. That's right. Right. Carl, That's... Carl Edwards came dangerously close. Carl's quick exit, I think, hurts him with some voters. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think they look and they go, dude, you just left, and you never look back. And he uh, hadn't even so, done interviews, really. I mean, he did one no. this year. We, we interviewed him at Nashville this year. He was yeah. up there because he was yep. being recognized, and he was on the air for that. Jeff Burton's done a lot in the sport. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's hung around and done television, and he's been very accessible. I think, I, I'll be honest, I think for all four of those guys, it's going to be really tough. Well, now that they've the reduced the number of slots, right? Yeah. So, and, yeah. and you've got the Harvicks and Hamlins and Loganos that are going to keep coming, right? I mean, you're going to have – we've had this discussion. I'd be interested to see what you think, but – the days of seven championships, the way the playoffs are, are, are probably over, right? Most guys aren't going to have more than two and three. We haven't had a repeat champion in 12 years, right? So you're going to have a lot of guys with one or two championships that are always probably going to get in if they've won more than 15 races. And so with that, you're going to have this sort of steady trickle, and it's going to make it really hard for these guys to get in. The title guys are going to get in. Always, they're, they're, right? They're, they're going to get in pretty much every time. Martin Truex Jr. is going to get in. He should get in anyway, but he's got a title. Kyle Busch has got two titles. He's going to get in. Denny Hamlin has no titles, but he's got a boatload of races. He gets in. There are, I think we figured it out the other day, there are probably seven to eight active drivers, yes. and I was counting Harvick at the time, that are absolute locks for the Hall of Fame. So that's why Jeff Burton, Harry Kent, Carl Edwards and Ricky Rudd are going to have a really yeah. hard time yeah. cracking that because these guys are going to be retiring and they're going to get eligible and they're going to get voted in. And, and uh, you know, you got Blaney and and Elliot that aren't even thirty. Yeah, and, and 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 Kyle Larson. Yes, you know all all of those guys. They're getting in. That's right. Are, are probably getting in because they want a title. But how many how many career wins does Blaney have? Ten. Yeah, ten yeah. or twelve. Yeah. yeah, I think he'll run. I think he'll run off a few more now. But you're right. If he retired I, tomorrow, now what do you do with him? You know, mm-hmm. actually, this is that, the. I don't know that that's a Hall of Fame career. Yeah, no. Yeah, I don't I, know with ten career wins and a championship. Right. Yeah, you, I agree. You automatically go. I agree. You know, Doug Williams won a Super Bowl. He didn't get in the Hall of Fame. Well, yeah. Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. And Doug, <laughs> Joe Flacco, <I> think, <laughs> right? Yeah. And there's some guys that you're like, wow. Right. And Doug, I think to your point with Blaney, especially if you have, let's just say he retired tomorrow, which he's not going to, but let's say you have his career, he won a championship. To me, that's a little tainted because of the 
format that we're in. I mean, they had a lackluster year. Yeah, he won three races, but they only came on at the end, you know? It's going to be tough. He yeah. needs to. I, I would feel better if he goes on and he has a 25-win career That's and right. a title. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's an easy call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But is that title worth more than somebody that has – 25 wins and no titles if he doesn't win anymore. Right. There's Denny Hamlin. There's right. Denny Hamlin. What do you do with Denny Hamlin? I think Denny, Denny Hamlin gets in. He's, he's in. I think so. Yeah, he's he's in. In. I agree. 60 wins. Right. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there's some out there that say, well, they never won a title. Yeah. But I don't think that matters with the number of wins that he has. But what, you, what Mark, you've got Mark, is Mark the – Mark got in. He never won a title. That's right. Yep. But – and but he won every. He was Kyle Bush before <laughs> Kyle Bush in the Xfinity yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, but it's like it's like in college basketball with UConn last year, right? They had a terrible, not a terrible, an average year, and then caught fire in the NCAA tournament and whipped everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like you got Gonzaga out there who's ranked number one every year for a decade. They don't have any. Uh, so it's a fa- and in fact, it was these types of arguments that uh, I think it was my father actually going to a race with us said. You guys talk about this. You should probably start a podcast. And so it's kind of cool, Doug, to talk about this stuff with you because because yeah. these are the you. kind of discussions that we've had, and it's not it's putting up the blind taste test of you know these two drivers, which mm-hmm. one gets in, and then you find out who they are, and it's like wow, I never would have thought that was their stats. So. Well, and it's also cool because you're in that room each and every year when the stories are being told and the cases are being made for these people that determines who gets in the Hall of Fame. I would love to be a fly on the wall in that room, not to participate, but just to sit back and hear this. Because a lot of these newer media members, they don't remember the careers of a Red Byron or a Rex White or a Bobby Allison or, or these people that are now in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, it's the guys like the Mike Joys and the late, great Ken Squires and Barney Halls that can tell these stories. It's invaluable, you know? I'm always interested because usually there will be somebody. Richard Petty's there every year, mm-hmm. and, and he's usually vocal. Good, and That's great. When the king raises his hand and they call on him, you know what? You listen. You do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. This guy has a little gravitas. He's got some weight. Yeah. My joy. You mentioned him. Uh, Waddell Wilson may be there, uh, and, and you know people. People that when they speak. They know of what they speak. I think it's pretty well balanced between people that appreciate the older era and folks that maybe have only followed NASCAR for 15 to 20 years. Everybody gets a chance to talk. Everybody gets a chance to campaign for who they like. There's very little negative speak. Uh, I don't know that maybe maybe once or twice in the years that we've been doing it that I've heard somebody get up and say, I didn't like this person or they don't deserve it. It's almost always I'm supporting person X sure. to get in, which which I like that part about. I wish they hadn't gone to the lesser number quite so soon. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think that's where it hurts the Ruds and these guys that are right on that fence. Uh, Jeff Bodine, another one. Jeff Bodine kind of opened the floodgates for all the northerners to come down and race. He was a big part of that. Right. You know, yeah. That that's Shimon Mafia that showed up down here. Yeah. So and I will say this, since we're talking about the Hall of Fame, and I don't know how to make it happen. Uh, I worked for this man for a long time and he's never even been on the ballot, and that's Humpy Wheeler. I don't know right. how at least get him on the ballot, at least let us sit in that room and talk about the merits of one of the greatest sports promoters that ever lived. Yeah, right. I I can't disagree with that. Yeah, and he's kind of been out of it for a, a few years, but 
Yeah, I've met him once or twice. Of just a very super gracious guy, very gregarious. Seems always just happy to see you, regardless of whether he's seen you, met you one time, or he's seen you a hundred times. Um, and just he's he's older now. His health's not great, but right. he he helped pull NASCAR along. And some of the people said, "Well, the things he did were stunts." Yeah, they were stunts, but they worked. They, they helped grow the sport. They, they did. They they worked. Yeah. Uh, the last, just circling back, you're talking about Blaney. I think it's interesting if you think about Kowicki's career as a Hall of Famer. One title, five wins. You know, and he probably would have had a lot more or a Davy Allison, right? It, it's also yep. hard when careers get truncated too soon. Then you're gonna now. What do you do with that, right? That's always the argument of a of Tim a, Richmond. Tim Richmond, yeah. You know, guys that. Probably would have been. I mean, we we have this debate all the time that if Davey Allison and Tim Richmond don't die, Dale Earnhardt doesn't get seven titles. Probably not. Right? I mean, no. I mean, that's no disrespect. Right? That's just the reality of those two guys. That's just showing those two guys a lot of respect. Yeah, I mean, one of one of the other great advantages that Earnhardt got, and I know a major broadcaster that got in trouble for pointing it out, was when he was winning all of his titles, the previous champion got the number one pit stop. Right. Oh, that's I, right. I had forgotten about race. that. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me oh. what an advantage that is. Yeah, Huge. for sure. Yeah. That I don't have to worry. I can qualify 27th. Yeah. And after the first round of pit stops, I'm going to be right back up front. That's right. I'm not saying that there's there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not I'm not saying that. But what yeah. a huge advantage to know that when you rolled into the racetrack, you're going to have a number one pit stop. Yeah. 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 I don't think I realized that. That's so, interesting. So I said yeah. 15 minutes ago that I had one more Yeah, question. we've been bothering I'm you sorry with all about this time. that, Doug. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> hey, when you tell us you're having a, having a good time with us, we're going to keep it rolling. That's right. <laughs> keep it rolling. Yeah, That's we, all we need to hear. I, I wanted to ask you, though, because you were at the grand opening of NASCAR's new 58,000 square foot production facility, I guess is what we'll call it, in Concord. Right. What do you think about it? I know that there are some fans out there that are worried that the races aren't going to be broadcast from the track. How's that going to impact what you guys do at PRN? Are you going to move your studios? Or what's your whole thing on, on, on that I, whole? I, I think a lot of people are getting way ahead and getting out of their skis on this. Mm. I don't think Fox and NBC and whoever the new partners have have any thoughts, especially for cup racing, about not having their – anchors and people at the racetrack i just i don't i mean there's got to be an attachment now the trucks people have been watching the trucks with the announcer set in charlotte for three years yeah and you can tell because they and don't you, and you can tell you can tell because they don't see it till you see it but I, I i just don't think that what the biggest thing that they're going to do is they're going to move most of the people that are in the nascar tower are going to be working out of that building Cheaper well, rent. <laughs> and they're also going to be on that Xfinity deal with the CW. That's yeah. going to be produced by NASCAR Productions. They're, now, what, what I meant about the NASCAR oh. people, the officials that yeah. are calling the race. Okay. Oh, oh interesting. Oh, oh really? Now, okay. they, they will still mm. have a staff at the track mm -hmm. for weather conditions and I. But a lot of those people, all they're doing is looking at television right. anyway at the racetrack. So it's just NASCAR is going to have its own war room. Yeah. And and and, and, hmm. and for efficiency's sake, and probably it will work better. I mean, for years they've been calling uh, penalties from a trailer at the track. 
what's the difference in having those people That's sitting right. in a room in Concord as opposed to a trailer where they're not looking at the racetrack anyway? And, Zero, and it's a lot cheaper. A lot. Yeah, right. And, That's you know, to NASCAR's credit, there's some judgment calls there, but for the most part, they're pretty consistent on how they handle stuff. Like, there are some exceptions, and we've we've addressed them before on our show, but... Man, if you look at like the NFL in the last couple weeks with this, you know, the Patrick Mahomes play, which was wasn't that kind of stuff wasn't called earlier in the game and they call it at the end, and then that happened again Saturday night with the Broncos. Like NASCAR's trying has been above the fray pretty well. And I realize there aren't as many kind of judgment calls, but I think that all of the ways that they're starting to do these these penalties and handing out stuff during the the, the race, I think they've made big strides. Uh w- what do you think about that? I mean, is it do you like how it's not? I hate to use the word punitive, but I feel like that that system that they have on pit road is pretty good way to keep having to keep from having to have officials make the call. And it's either they're into the box, they're out of the box, the tires loose, it's not loose, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, as far as these entrance and exit penalties, they're they're not judgment calls anymore. That's right. That camera's looking at it, and that pro trailer's watching it. And you're either in the box or you're not. And there's not a question mark about that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these things are pretty much black and white. And I think that not having 85 people on pit road eyeballing things has, has, has been okay. And I don't think it's affected the product much at all for what people are watching on Sundays. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a, a home team guy. If I felt differently, I'd say so. But I, I think for the most part, NASCAR does a pretty good job of officiating. It's not easy. You've got 36 teams that you've got to keep your eye on. Right. And occasionally, yeah, they're going to they're gaff. But they're humans and they make mistakes. But I think the way that they're eyeballing everything now and able to get quick HD zoomed in pictures, uh, that takes a lot of doubt out of it. All right, this all time right. we are going to wrap it up with one more question that we ask all of our guests. Uh, and, and Michael came up with this a couple of years ago, and it's fascinating to hear the answer. So I'm going to turn it over to him. All right, Doug. So if you could pick, so you've got five to ten minutes of time, whether it be just sit down and have a conversation, have a beer, have a, have a quick sandwich, have a hot dog at Martinsville with one person, uh, whether they be... Uh, living, deceased, whether they're in racing, it doesn't matter. Most people answer with someone in racing, but who's that one person that you could pick to spend five to ten minutes with out of everybody you've ever known or somebody you've never met that you'd like to, or who would that person be? Wow, that's a great question. I will, I will give you a lot of credit for that. I've, I've had the privilege, and I hope this doesn't come across sounding snobbish, or bougie, but I've had the privilege of being able to talk to pretty much everybody in the NASCAR world that I've wanted to. You know, I've I've, I've had the opportunity to sit down with Daryl Waltrip, who scared me when I first met him. I was intimidated <laughs> by him, and I've spent a lot of time with Richard Petty. And I find these guys fascinating. They tell great stories, and they're interesting people. In, in the racing world, it would probably be the king because he's always got another story. He's always got something else to say. Mm-hmm. And I, I found you used the word, I think, gracious a moment ago with Richard. I think above all else, that man is, is gracious and is so accepting of his fandom and his celebrity that it's not funny. He's as cool as he looks and he sounds. So if you give me 15 minutes with the king, uh, I'm probably going to go away happy. Historical figure, 
that I would have loved to have spent time with would have been Winston Churchill. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great answer. I, I'm just a big Churchill guy. You know, I don't I don't know that the free world is a line like it is if it wasn't for Winston Churchill. Yeah, my favorite Churchill quote, and obviously you know it, but for our listeners, about the time he was at the party, had had a few too many, and a woman came up and said, Sir, you're drunk. And yep. he said, yes, ma'am, but you're ugly, and tomorrow I'll be sober. <laughs> oh, talk, about a, yeah, talk about a straight another, shooter. You know, that, that is such a great quote that it overshadows, we'll fight them in the beaches. That's we'll right. It really does. Land. It you really know, does. Mean, you know, yeah. it, it gives this firing speech that sends a nation to war. But everybody remembers this quote about the ugly lady. That's so. right. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's the way fate treats you. Man. It is. But, it but is. He's the guy that, out of, out of all the people in history— who eventually got unelected, kicked out of office. Yeah. When he yeah. ran for prime minister after the war. Yep, he sure did. And kind of kind of just faded away, you know? I mean, none of us on this podcast were alive when that happened. <laughs> but but you know, I think he died in the mid sixties, is that right? And Yeah, he he, he was in relative obscurity. Right. He, he was the wartime prime minister. He was he, he was on this planet to do what he did. Yeah, After he took that, over for Chamberlain, who they saw was too acquiescent to Hitler and yeah. all that kind of stuff, and then just came in and just was a, like this nickname, the Bulldog. And then, uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I, I enjoyed. I don't remember which series it was when John. I think it was John Lithgow played him. The Crown was that the Crown? Mm-hmm. Oh, he was fantastic in that. That was yeah, just such was. a neat portrayal. And there's and there's, so there's a. I I think. The, the movie that portrays him, maybe The Darkest Hour. Oh, yes. Uh, the guy, the the Gary guy that plays Churchill in that. Yeah, excellent, yep. excellent movie. He does a really good job. He sure mm-hmm. does. Well, Doug, you have been gracious, which is an understatement, with your time tonight. And we thank you for it. We hope... Uh, to meet you in person, maybe at a race this year, be that'd be a lot of fun. And maybe you know, maybe you'll come back on and, and chat with us again. We've really enjoyed tonight. Thank well, I, you. For- I've had a great time. I love to go bench racing, and especially during you know, I like talking about racing in its big picture, right? As opposed to just week to week. Well, this is what happened last week. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I mean, that's just box score stuff. The yeah, stuff and it, that we and it can devolve. It's a little bit bigger. Right. And it, it devolves sometimes into sort of almost like the news channels with all the political stuff. It's just lots of opinion and lots of prognostication. And sometimes it's more fun to talk, like you say, just holistically about it. And we certainly appreciate your perspective. We love listening to you when you're on the broadcasts uh, with PRN. And, and uh, we'll be looking forward to, to hearing from you, you guys. The first broadcast this year will be Atlanta? Yep. Atlanta and then right out to Vegas. Okay. Atlanta's going to be a little chilly in. Uh, I've last... been in Atlanta in March and watched the snow more than once. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be. <laughs> we thought about going to that spring race, and then I, because I, I didn't want we didn't want to go in July when it was the surface of the sun, and then now they moved it to the frozen tundra. So now September might be good. September might be good. Yeah, so could well, be. Well, thank you, Doug. Uh, this has been great. I hope you have a happy holiday season, and uh, I'm ready to go who, racing. Who is talking right now? This is Travis. Is Travis. Travis. Yeah. Travis, uh, I don't know if you ever got told this. Uh, your voice inflection and everything reminds me a lot of Alex Hayden from MRN. Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, I went to school for broadcasting. And um, just just a real quick story. The reason we're called blind spotting is because I'm visually impaired. And right. got a degree in broadcasting and wanted to pursue a career in NASCAR and realized that that was, that was a little ambitious. And so uh, we have... Um, 
you know, gone this route with the podcast and that kind of scratches the itch, as you might say. That's good. That's yeah. excellent. So, well, guys, thanks for having me. I really thanks, enjoyed Doug. it. Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks thank you. Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. He's going to try to slide us through here. Come on, baby. And Blaney's coming.